Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. Marvin Smith. Dr. Smith is the Chief Pharmacist and Administrator of Public Hospitals Authority of the Bahamas. He is also a role model for a lot of pharmacy students in the Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina area. He graduated from Mercer University College of Pharmacy a few years ago and has obviously taken his talents south to the Bahamas. Uh, he's the current president of the Caribbean Pharmacists Association as well. So he's a man who's in, in some high places and gets a little bit different perspective than some of the people I brought on the podcast before. So Dr. Smith, thanks for coming on and joining me today with this great discussion. I'm happy to be here. I'm just freaked out with this Dr. Smith stuff because you know what us is. Marvin and Eric. Oh, Marvin and Geyer, because nobody calls you Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I'll probably call you Marvin from here on out just because we know each other like that. Definitely. <laughs> so obviously, I wanted you on here, Marvin, because you went to college in the United States, but you were born and raised in the Bahamas. So it gives you a very different perspective than most people because you're literally in a different country that has a very different dynamic than the U.S. as far as population mix and culture and everything else. Yep. And I, I thought that's very unique with you. And so that's kind of why I wanted you on here today. The other reason is you've been a good friend of mine for over a decade now, quite some time. In fact, you're, you're such a good friend. You came to my wedding and you're probably one of the most exciting people to see because you were so amped up for me. So I thought this was a good dialogue for us to have here and openly share and basically kind of discuss uh, your perspective on what it's like being a black man in the United States. And if you can even share some stories with some listeners, whether it be in pharmacy school, after pharmacy school, of some things you've kind of experienced. Fine, fine. Well, you know, um, to give your listeners a little background, um, the Bahamas is an independent country. It became independent from Great Britain in 1973. I was born in 1974. Um, so I had the unique experience of uh, growing up in a country that has 5 million visitors from all over the world up to um, when I was there now, almost 10 million visitors a year, one of the biggest tourist capitals of the world. Um, so we see people from everywhere. And we have black Bahamians, we have Caucasian Bahamians, we have mixed Bahamians, we have Chinese Bahamians, we have Greek Bahamians. But the, the black Bahamians make up about 90% of, of the population. And so I had a unique experience growing up in an independent country where all of my leaders, my political leaders, my church leaders, my school leaders, civic leaders looked like me. And while we saw people from all these different places and, you know, people, Chinese people, whatever else, they were tourists. I started college at 16 in the Bahamas and then came to Clark University, which is an historically black college and university in Georgia. And then went to Mercer University for pharmacy school to do my doctorate. And Mercer is a Southern Baptist. Caucasian school. So I've seen it from a lot of different aspects, and um, I've traveled all over the world. It's probably easy to ask me where I haven't been. I've been <laughs> as far as Russia and Poland, and as, um, as the president of the Caribbean, I've been to every Caribbean island. I've been all throughout Latin America. I've been all throughout Europe. So it's very different I'm from place, because I, I, I'll tell you that's crazy. I remember coming in school in the States, and caring about all this minority stuff and it was foreign because I'd never been a minority in my life. Hmm. And so it was difficult to hear my African American and sisters talk about minority and discrimination and blah, blah. like discrimination is something we saw in the movies. Yeah. Right? 
And so it was very different and very opening in some ways. And, um, and so the perspective to me was different, but it, it, it's been an interesting journey and I'm, and seeing everything that's going on now, Eric, it's, it's, it's very, it's very strange in some ways. And some other things is like, wow, it took you all this long to do this. So yeah, I think it, it's going to be, it's going to be very um, interesting to have America, which just be honest, America goes, the world goes. Yeah. And so how America is dealing with this, and you saw it, you saw protests spring up in America and then spring up all around the world. It yeah. is, it forces everybody else to ask, what are you doing? Because they see it as a standard. And I'm glad to see some of the changes that have been made. Some of the other stuff that's very negative, the rioting and looting, but people in any cause, people who will do bad stuff. And so, and so that's the thing that, that we have to understand. Um, and I will preface this, uh, by everything else I'll say is people will tell you, I don't see race, but policy, everybody sees race. I see race. Okay. Seeing race and being racist are two different things. Um, seeing race and, and understanding what your prejudices are and why you can act on them is really coming into a full aware of yourself. So, you know, if I'm driving to a certain neighborhood, whether I'm here in the Bahamas or here in the States, I make sure my doors are locked. That's my, that's my bias. Okay. And that could be well grounded in that may be a high crime area, or it may be, it may be a, a stupid assumption based on the fact that I see some people in the neighborhood with a certain way. All right. But, but how we deal with it is important to understand who we are and what it is that we should do. And that's the critical thing that I think this sort of discussion is 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 going to be. So I'm really happy that you you invited me to be here. Plus, it's always good to talk to you because you know I mean you, now now that you're married with a baby, I get to see you a lot less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We used to hang out quite a bit uh, down in Florida and stuff like that when we were uh, working with different college students. So that we we are that close. So just so people understand, what did you find different? Obviously, besides like no long before you were in the majority in the Bahamas, then you come to the U.S. and you're a minority. What was some of the if there's some stories you can share, some experiences? What was it that kind of made you realize uh, this was very different in the United States than it was where you come from? Well, I can tell you my first foray into instant real racism was um, I was at Clark Atlanta University. Like I said, an historically black college, but my, my, my advisor and my mentor was a, was a white lady, Dr. Isabella Finkelstein. She's passed away now. She was my advisor. And she, uh, she literally adopted me. I mean, I literally called her Ma. That's how close we were. Okay? I would spend weekends at her home, skiing with other students. Her daughter and I are really good friends. Her, her kids are my godgates. Like, that's how close we were. And she would go to town. I didn't have a car. And sometimes she would lend me a car. Mind, this is 1994. And she had a brand new Toyota Supra. Oh, red. Nice. <laughs> fins on the back. You know, you know, dark, dark like the, the, the living style. And at the time, she'd be like, drop me to the airport and pick me back up and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is Uber and everything else. And I would get pulled over in that car. In Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Every 20 minutes. Every 20 minutes. 
and it was mostly by white cops. Who was just like, why is this kid driving this, you know, at that time, a really nice car? And it, it's just weird. I finally realized that I don't need to be driving this car. And she would be like, hey, um, can you, nope, nope, find somebody else. I, I can't, I just got really weird about interactions with the police. I, and that was my first for But things did not really strike me until 1997. I was, uh, we were both in the same fraternity in my chapter. And I was driving to my first out of my region, we call them provinces, meeting, to what was then province two. The meeting in Philadelphia. And I stopped first in Pittsburgh to meet up with friends. And then we drove, uh, Brett Rathy, Rathy was the one guys. We drove to Philadelphia for the meeting at Philadelphia College of Pharmacy. And I was driving back on Sunday from their little get together. And I'm in my suit and everything else. I'm driving straight to get back to Atlanta for test in the morning and I'm coming through Tennessee on 75 and I stop at a gas station not really to get gas as much just wanted to get some mountain dew and some sunflower seeds and, and as I'm walking getting out of my car truck pulls up and I see that the there's these two guys in it and they're wearing uniforms I don't really care I get out of my car and I'm walking past the truck and I hear one of the guys say to me, the N-word, but the blank you doing here, okay? Now, I've been trained already. It's two of them is me one. They look like they're in uniforms. I, I'm, I'm saying my fight. So I just ignore it and keep walking to the ward the door. And I hear the guy say, hey, N-word, I'm going to kill you tonight. And I, I don't know if I heard the click of the gun. I don't, it's, you know how these things, it's almost everything went in slow motion. But my guardian angel just told me, get on the ground. And I hit the ground and start crawling on the fire. And then when I hit the ground, the bullet hits off the wall of the gas station. Wow. And I'm turning the corner to go to the front door and I'm running in and I'm in there and I'm screaming and yelling and crying and telling them they're trying to kill me. They're trying to kill me. And this white cashier in this gas station sees these guys coming, grabs me by the, the neck and pulls me in the bulletproof cashier cage and locks it. And these two cops come in. And you could tell they've been drinking and whatever else. And they are yelling at him. Let this N word, da 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 da. And he's calling them by first name and threatening he's going to call the sheriff. Man. And after a while, they left. And he says to me, he says, Where are you going? If I'm going back to the land, he says, Listen, do not go back on that highway. When you come out of here, and he, and he draws where I got to go. This is back in 93. I ain't got no, <laughs> ain't got no Google Maps on your phone, right? And he says, you go, you go back on the highway. And you go back this way. And when you come out, three exits down. Because they're going to be waiting on an exit for you. And it was the first time I had to deal with police brutality. It was the first time somebody ever tried to kill me. <laughs> yeah. And and overt racism. And I I wanted to sit on the floor and just shake him. He's like, you got to go now. Go now. Go now. I mean, it was, it opened up to stuff.
so when people talk about police brutality and something like that, like it's real to me. Like that, that I've been there, and 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 it really changed my focus on like looking at stuff. You know. Now I'll tell you the other thing. My school's in Atlanta. Our doctor is in University of Georgia in Athens. Okay, I'm there for a meeting with my brothers at the fraternity chapter in Athens, which is at that point all white guys. And they said to me, we want you to come up and party with us because there's some good black guys in our school that we'd like to join this fraternity, but they don't see anybody that looks like them. And maybe if they see how we interact with you, they'll come. Get down there. And they, it worked. And that chapter's been diverse ever since. But the funny thing about it is we're walking, we're walking down uh, on Broad Street in Athens. If you ever been to Athens, it's like the street. And again, somebody says something to me, throws the N-word out, and I just keep it moving. And I look back and I realize there's a commotion. And when I look back, it is my white fraternity brothers. They're like, you're not going to talk to our friend like that. You're not talking to my brother like that. And it also made me realize that it's not just, even though you don't condone violence, something people are learning now. It's not just enough to be to be not racist. But these are, there are times you have to stand up and be solidly anti-racist. Yeah. Like, you can't be silent about it. Yeah, and, and that's important. And to your point there, actually, it was a fraternity brother of ours who I, I'm friends with on Facebook. I haven't interacted with him too much, but I always had a lot of respect for the guy, um, Jamal Brown. He's been posting a lot of yep, stuff, yep. his stories, different JB, things like man. that. Yeah, and he one of the things he posted that really helped kick off this idea for a podcast for me was he posted an MLK quote, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but the general gist of it was is, you know, it's we're not we're not angry at the actions of evil men, we're angry at the inactions of good men. And, you know, use any plat- yep. basically I took this as oh, look, I need to use my platform here as small as it might be with this podcast to try and show people and show pharmacists, hey, look, there's other pharmacists that are dealing with this. And to your point, you even said you were coming back from a pharmacy meeting, something that we've all done at some point in time. You were, I think you said you were wearing a suit when the incident in Tennessee happened? A suit, man. Yeah. I was in a suit. So, I mean, we have... I fit nobody's description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody looks like me to begin with. Yeah. Between being about 6'4 and, you know, being very charismatic and then wearing a suit and being a black man in that area of Tennessee, yeah, you fit like no descriptions, correct? And, but it it's one of those things that, you know, when I saw you share that story, I was like, man, like this is the stuff that people don't understand. And if something would have happened to you, think of all the other people, and I'm not trying to like, you know, brag on you here, but look at all the people you've impacted when it comes to Florida colleges of pharmacy, when it comes to the Bahamas and your role down there, like you're not someone who's easy to replace and no one is, no one is, especially when it comes to a topic like this, this is not something we can just wipe people away from. And I thought that that was a huge thing was when I'm seeing my own fraternity brothers who I have a lot of respect for sharing stories like yours, who I know are generally upstanding people. Like I know a very few of them that have any issues whatsoever. I trust every one of them. I see them, I walk up, I give them a hug or a, you know, a handshake, but it depends on, obviously with COVID, I might not do it right now, but, but you know, I, these are people that I, you know, I generally care for and I love seeing when they have success on Facebook or in person or wherever. And so 
that's what really struck me with this chord was when you share a story like that. And I think of, wow, look at the, the butterfly effect, if you will, that could have happened, the ripple that from that one incident, if it went slightly different. Yeah. And, and that's why I really thought for pharmacists, we need to recognize this because I, if I remember correctly, most pharmacists in this country are white, if I remember my statistics correctly. Yep. And I think now yep. it's tilting that the majority, if not it's very close, is female. So they're not going to get some of these same experiences. Yet if you look where pharmacies are, pharmacies are in every neighborhood, every, I don't know about every county, but basically almost every county or every area in the United States. Yep. So when we're seeing these things, you know, there probably was a pharmacy somewhere by, you know, where that happened with you in Tennessee. And who knows, you could have walked in there to, I, I don't know, it was probably a Sunday, but maybe they were open, maybe they weren't with, you know, some of the differences in states. But you could have walked in there and had a simple need and they need to know how to address that. And that's where I think pharmacists yeah, the, sometimes the, lose this. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah we have to understand that as, as healthcare leaders, we have a, a place and a space for advocacy. We have things we have to look at. And so I, I, I can't tell you how many of my African-American brothers and sisters in pharmacy share stories of they graduate and they finally get and they're a pharmacist and they, they get placed somewhere and people come and say, no, I want a white pharmacist. Yeah. And, and, and we see, and, or, or they're, they're not just, not as African-Americans, Indians, Latinos. And, and, and this is the thing. It, and how do you deal with stuff like that? We have to find ways to ensure that, that as a profession, we're being inclusive. Um, one of the things that, that drew me to, to join this fraternity was when I got on my campus, um, there was there were no there was only one black brother who was in the fourth year in the chapter. Well, we had out of the six professors that were fraternity brothers, two of them were African American. One was the dean of my school, and so it, it said to me, and this guy had pledged in the sixties <laughs> at a Southern Baptist <laughs> in school, right? <laughs> so. So this was the thing that kind of drew me like, okay, maybe, maybe these guys, you know, because I'm not the typical, you know, join a fraternity full, full, full of white guys to do it. But I was, I took a chance too. And so even as, as people of color, we have to take a chance on putting ourselves out there to sharing our experience. Because I think a lot of the guys that I went to school with would have gotten a, a, a perspective on some of the things that, that made them do now than they were back then because a lot of these guys came from towns where, you know, they didn't have the opportunity to interact with a lot of people who didn't look like them. Their schools weren't 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 um, integrated that way. Their churches weren't. Their family, those sort of things. And so coming to college is one of the main things that allowed them to sort of experience and, and, and just as an aside, for years I've been saying this policeman. Make policemen go to college and get a four-year degree in science. Not just because you're going to get the smarter of the crew, but that's fine. You can stop buying all that military-grade stuff on salaries. I think they'd like that, right? Because <laughs> yeah. if you the money you went to buy a tank and put it into people's salaries, they'll be happy with that. But also because going to college exposes you. I mean, unless you're going to some fascist, you know, you know, crazy college where they got these weird ideas about stuff. I mean, 
um, or you go to Trump University, <laughs> you're probably going to a place that has a diversity of students and faculty. You're going to get exposed to different people and different things. I mean, the first time I had muscadine wine was at my big, big fraternity brother's house in Macon, Georgia, when he took me home Thanksgiving with his folks. I was probably the first black person to spend Thanksgiving with him. And they were the first people to show me how to moonshine. But guess what? I had a good time. Yeah. And, I and we're friends to this day. Yeah, and I think that's very important, you said, is to make sure that you're exposed to people of different backgrounds. And not that you have to, like, I don't want to say throw yourself in the middle of it, but it's good to get those life lessons, for lack of a better term, so you can understand where people come from. And one of the things that honestly started with me and you, and this is kind of just for the listeners, a little bit of insight, some other people will know this, we actually started off on a totally wrong foot because Marvin sent an email over a March Madness thing, bragging about how he won, because he did win. I think I was second or third. I don't remember. I was up there. And he sent the email saying, you know, whenever you're in doubt, you should just follow whatever Obama does, because a black man who can make it to the Oval Office, you know, can can do anything. And I kind of took a step back, and I was like, look, I actually voted for Obama, but, like, man, that's that has, his race has nothing to do with this. Like, why did you say that? And, like, we, you know, we went back and forth, back and forth. And after a lot of dialogue, Marvin actually, one, introduced me to Twitter, which I had not really heard of before that. And the two invited me to come down sometime, which I took him up on probably about a year, year and a half later once I graduated because I, mm-hmm. I was on rotations at the time. Um, ironically, I was in Minnesota when we had this conversation, as much as that ties back to the current situation. And so, I, so I, I went down there and was like, look, like, I want to I wanna get to meet this guy. And you were standoffish at first, but once we kind of hung out, talked, talked, to, it would be about politics, personal life, whatever, we started realizing we have a lot more in common than we realized. And we had a lot more in common of what we thought pharmacists should do and pharmacies should be and how we should like develop leaders and organizations we're involved with and things like that. And once we did that, you know, we started hanging out all the time. And I, I mean, I was down in Florida with you quite a bit. But the thing of it is, is that started on the wrong foot. That could have very easily went the opposite way. We hated each other. We never talked. But then today, here we are on our podcast that you made time for in your busy day as the chief pharmacist and administrator in the Bahamas to talk about this issue on a podcast because we know and trust each other so much that we can openly talk about this and understand what what each other are saying when we when we have differing opinions on things or we don't understand something fully. So I think that to your point, dialogue and you know meeting other people are key here. Like I said before, I wouldn't have had this podcast if it wasn't for some of the people we know, like Justin Redding, who's one of the nicest people I know, sharing a story about how he was profiled and he had to have white friends go to bat for him when somebody stormed in the house accusing him of things that did not happen based off the color of his skin. And he's a great pharmacist. I, I love the guy. I know him. I've known him for years. I trust him. Yep. And it was one of those things kid. that, like, yeah, he's one of the nicest people I know. I'd probably say he's nicer than I am without any question. But to see that happen, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is ridiculous. So with that kind of being said, what do you think other healthcare professionals and pharmacists can do to help kind of start that breakdown of barrier when it comes to race? Do we focus on patients? Do we focus on little things we're saying? What do you think we do to help in our role with our white coats to break down that barrier? I, I think the first thing is we have to do active dialogue. See, the difference is people communicate, but they don't dialogue. So we shout at each other. We argue at each other, right? When we approach things, I say this all the time. If, if you sit down with anybody 
over some chicken wings and a beer, <laughs> you can get anything done. I'm telling you. Or if you don't drink beer, some sweet tea. <laughs> Not that northern stuff to do with iced tea. Sweet tea, right? Sweet tea with lemon. But you can get anything done. And I realized this because I've gone into places and we sit down and people just ask you stuff and you realize they're coming at you one way and by the end of it, they're like, man, I'm really glad to talk to you. And you're glad you're, you talk with them. But it has to be active dialogue and pharmacy cannot be, we cannot be accidental about what we want to do with this. It has to be purpose-driven dialogue. We have to, and there, there, there are discrepancies and there are, are disparities. We have to admit that some of the things we do when when a, when a, when we allow a company to say to people, your hairstyle has to be this way, when that rule is obviously only for people of color, yeah, because you're not telling the white kid that he can't have long hair. You're saying no dreadlocks. Okay, those are the things. Like we and we had to start questioning why openly and say why is an issue for us. The other thing is we also have to address the fact that we are different that our experience make us different. Not our race. Our experiences make us different. All right? And, 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 and that the experiences aren't tied to just race. It shocks people when a black kid from the Bahamas played in a jazz band for years in Atlanta says his favorite band is Metallica. <laughs> and I've seen them live seven times. <laughs> it shocks people. It yeah. shocks people when I say that I want my the place I want to retire when I, when I when I get out of here is either Argentina or Scotland. I'm a boy, but you got to get to know me. Yeah, because just as Marvin is a six foot four black guy, doesn't mean that everything I like is what every other six foot four black guy does. And so the dialogue for us has to be purposeful. It has to be intentional. All right, and call the things out we see, and it's not. And, and this is very, 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 I can tell you this, okay? Nobody, it never becomes important enough to act on until those who are affected by oppression speak up. The reason why you see the pivot that you're seeing in America today is not because black people got mad and George Floyd went to the streets. Because more and more when you turn the TV on, you're seeing people and Asian people and Latin people and, and Hindu people and Sikh and Muslims and they're all coming together and saying the, this thing affects our brothers and sisters so that's us. The thing that dri will drive this okay is those people. You talk the statement the other day he hopes Kaepernick gets back in the NFL. You really think he believes that? Yeah. Hell no he don't believe that but he has to because so much people who start who look like him who used to say yes you can't kneel for the anthem and I'll say wait a minute so this is some real stuff because it's hard to watch a man narrate his own eight minutes before he's success yeah alright at the same point we also don't be afraid to say that sometimes you don't agree I'm a person who personally feels like the DA has overshot the case in Atlanta I don't think whatever happened after the shooting is after the shooting my take is you fight a cop, you take his taser, you turn around, you try to shoot him. He, 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 he pulled his gun out and shot you. I don't like that the guy died. Could it have been handled differently? Maybe, yes. But I, 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 I can't, that's not a George Floyd situation to me. 
And there are people who can get mad at me for saying it, oh, white and black. Okay? But you can't be afraid to speak your And if us pharmacists were doing this, so when you see as a white pharmacist, somebody speaking a certain way condescendingly to your black technician or your Latin cashier or the person stocking your shelves, it's your job to stand up and say, no, 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 you're not going to talk to my staff that way. Yeah, and I okay. t- I agree with job. that totally because I've had situations where yeah. I've had people do that to my technicians, and I don't remember I don't even remember the exact situation, but I just went to their defense, and those are some of my best relationships with my techs. Is after I went to their defense, mm-hmm. they're like, "Thank you for standing up for me," and I think I think they just instinctively didn't think I would do it because I'm white, but when I did it, it made it literally meant the world to them, and to me, it was just treating them like an equal human being. Yeah, yeah, and so from from. My, my most powerful experiences in pharmacy school were my white fraternity brothers having my back. And that's why I get to, I'm celebrating 25 years next year, man. <laughs> I got the silver morning, I'm my silver morning next year, right? Yeah. And I've been active and involved, why? Because I have so much to give back, right? And so it is, it is important that this fight for equality has equal partners doing this. And, and, and as pharmacists, Begin where you work, but also begin where you live. Get involved in your, in, 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 you don't have to get involved in politics. Get involved in civics. Join a, if you don't want to get involved in the politics of your city council, join an organization like a Rotary or Kiwanis or somewhere else. You know, talk about it in your churches and your lodges and your, in your exercise groups. You, you need to be active with it. You cannot simply say, again, it's not enough to say, I'm not racist. You now have to show and share why that's the case, and and that's when true equality is to come. And 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 when it does, then things won't be seen through this eye of of race, because a person's race will not go away. It's how we deal with it, and that's a critical thing. Yeah, and so I think mm-hmm. one thing just to kind of sum this up for like a take home point, if you will. I really think what you're alluding to is that pharmacists need to reach out of their box. I think so many times we see things. I, I work retail, obviously you don't, but you know we need to take that extra step to reach out of the box. And that's where all my favorite experiences come from. And it can be having those discussions, whether you're getting a flu shot, when you know they're coming in, when you're actually physically outside the box, or say you have to go ring somebody up, having that discussion with them. And I know race is not something you want to talk about necessarily at the counter. But what you could just talk about, you can just open the dialogue up and be like, hey, how's it going for you? You know, like these are kind of crazy times. Is everything okay at home with you? And that's a genuine care that they can reciprocate and open that dialogue to your exact point. Yeah. 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 And, and, and sharing it on social media and sharing it, like I said, with people we do. And more importantly, just being a good example. Yes. All right. I think, I think that's the thing that, that I've tried to do. Yeah. on my responsibility as a leader to to show and highlight the people that are important to me um, and not highlight, hey, this is my white friend, this is my black friend, but this is my friend. Yeah. All right? People will get the message. And, and so, you know, the irony of it is this, that people who see us together will think that you and I have been friends from we were kids and we get to talk every day and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yep. but our interaction is just look you know we, we get to talk on facebook every so often and, and we you know i haven't seen you since that man like yeah. you've 
you've gotten like I see your daughter now. Your daddy. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Your first Father's Day, man. Thank you, sir. It's gonna be amazing. You know, and and but it was the, the bond that we have is good and and it's strong, and so it's important to show that and share that. And if we do that as pharmacists and as people, the world will be a better place. And that's all we want for our kids, man. That's all we want for the people we love. We want this this to be someplace where everybody can be the best for themselves. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think I think it's a great conversation to have because even though you are in the Bahamas, like you said, the world goes as the U.S. goes. So what we do here can inadvertently, oh, yeah. through ripple effect, affect you there in the Bahamas, which is even a black majority country like you stated. So I think that's why, you know, I, I like having your opinion on this because it's it's different. It's from an outside point of view, but also an inside point of view at the same time. So you're you're a unique one when it comes well, it, to talking about this stuff a little it, bit. It, it, it's very it's very inside to me because, like I said, I, I travel to the States very often. Yeah. Right? And my god kids, I have two kids in, 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 that are Bahamians who are in college in the States. My daughter's going to the States to college. I have family. It's my, 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 my father, his father moved to the States 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So I have an American aunt and cousins. I have cousins who've served in the, in the armed forces. I have cousins who have worked in different areas in the state. So this is an important thing for everybody. The world's smaller now. And we, have, we want to just make sure that, that we're doing our part. And so I really thank you for the opportunity to be here, man. This has been incredible. And, and I hope your listeners, if they want to, they can reach out to me. Um, um, you can just Google me, Marvin Smith. I'm the, direct, I'm the president of the Caribbean Association of Pharmacists. So if you just Google Caribbean Association of Pharmacists or Caribbean Pharmacy, you'll see our website pop up. Please feel free to reach out. And, and like I'm always interested in dialogue. Like, you know, I, yeah. There's nothing I won't talk <laughs> If you can tell from the podcast, Marvin's not one to stay silent on many issues. So he will never have a problem getting a response from him. Um, hey, before I let you go, I got two questions I ask everybody. Um, and you can make them brief or as long as you want. But if you could change one thing about pharmacy, what would it be? Um, I would make a rule that every I would I would literally kill chain pharmacy. Okay. Kill it. I would say that every pharmacy has to be owned by the pharmacist that works there. I think South Dakota and has you that. could own multiple ones, but you'd have to partner with the people who actually work there. So I would take pharmacy from and that doesn't mean get rid of Walmart or get rid of CVS. They just have the franchise, like McDonald's does, like Burger King does. Give the pharmacist who works there the ownership, a, a part of the, or these are part of the ownership of the practice. So they have a say in what they actually get to do. But more importantly, it's just not a job to them. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it becomes a life's passion. I would make that change in a heartbeat. Okay. That's definitely what no one said out here before. And I think that's a, that's a thought provoker. Uh, as president of the Caribbean Association of Pharmacists, you know, the largest pharmacy in, in, in the whole Caribbean is nine pharmacies. <laughs> that's the large that's in jamaica okay like 300 of them okay so almost every pharmacy you go into is either a government pharmacy or it is is owned usually by the pharmacist working there and that's why caribbean pharmacy is so wonderful and i'd love for you guys to come to the caribbean and see it for yourself see the level of service here and and how people interact and know their customers because they own it. It's theirs. That's a that's a great invite for people, especially well once we can start traveling a little bit more and not spreading COVID. I think that's a great 
a great goal. We, I, te- I tend to visit pharmacies no matter where I go. If it's Colorado, California, always. wherever. So maybe I'm a nerd like that. <laughs> um, last question. If you could change one law about pharmacy, federal, state-wise, whatever you know, and maybe it's even the Bahamas, what would it be and why? Um, I, I think there's two things because of course our law is a little different from yours. So let me let me begin with with, with basically Caribbean law. Um, I would I would mandate. I wouldn't change a law. I'd create a law. I'd create a law that says that every pharmacist would have to have a sit down conversation, a healthcare session with every chronic customer that they have. So anybody you have a refill on your system for, once a year, you'd have to sit with them and go through a health check with them. Not because with drugs, where they sit down with them and walk through a basic healthcare check. These are the meds. This is what you're doing. Talk to them. Just one hour every year. Okay, so that's kind okay. of that's kind of like that's, the MTMs up the, here, but a little more. Yeah, a that's little what more, I do in the Caribbean. A little more right. extensive. Yeah, got it. Yeah, in, in the U.S., I think I would, I would, I would limit the amount of tax that can work under pharmacists. Okay. I think, I, I think that's that's critical because right? I think you know where we see the abuses are is like places like mail order. Yeah, I think you you as a pharmacist, if you're supervising more than two two people, you can't really do your job. You just can't. You might you might do it good, but you're not working at your optimum if you're trying to supervise three, four, six techs, and particularly in cases like mail order and those sort of stuff where they got you know fifteen techs working on the shift. If there's one person that, no, it can't work. I think two texts would be the max. It, it allows you to focus on what you're doing. Gotcha. Hey, right? That's another angle we haven't seen here before. And I've heard of tech ratio in other states. My state, Ohio, doesn't have it. So I've had to work with like six, seven texts at a shift sometimes. So I, I get what you're yeah. saying there. You can't truly understand every single thing they're touching or doing. It makes it tough. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not patient. It's not patient friendly and it is not professional yeah. for that because a professional always wants to perform at the best and you're not, you're just not able to, you're just not able to. Yeah. So that's going to change. Awesome. Well, Hey Marvin, thanks for joining me here uh, again, people, you kind of uh, heard where you can find him at reach out to him. If you have questions, especially if it's about the Caribbean pharmacy or the Bahamas, cause the man's a the man knows more than anyone else. I know about that on top of a few other subjects, but Marvin, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Um, and as always, you know, thank- I do, man, go ahead. Can't, can't, can't wait till I get back down to, uh, to Cleveland. You got to come with me to the rock and roll hall of fame this time. Last time you couldn't cause you were getting ready to go on your honeymoon, but I'm coming <laughs> back to the rock and roll hall of fame. I strapped it up my bucket list when I came for your wedding <laughs> and they changed the exhibits. And so I'm going to come back again. You're coming with me, man. All right. Yeah, that, that won't be a hard one to get me to go to the Rock Hall of Fame. I love yeah. going to different people. Maybe, so. maybe, maybe for a Chiefs-Browns game. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there's a Chiefs-Browns game, I'm hoping I, we actually win one. So, hey. <laughs> All right, well, listen, right, listeners, thanks for joining the Political Pharmacist uh, Podcast. Leave us a five-star review if you can. And as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.